Psalm 78. It's a longer psalm, so I was thinking maybe we could just... Go around and read it, if you guys are okay with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, we could each read uh, 10 verses or so. And then um, I'll, read the, I'll read the first part. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. He forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt and the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. The fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger arose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he led out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwelling. And they ate and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, 
the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths, they lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him, they were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Again and again they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power, the day he redeemed them from the oppressor, the day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zon. He turned their rivers to blood. They could not drink from their streams. He sent swarms of flies that devoured them and frogs that devastated them. He gave their crops to the grasshopper, their produce to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore figs with sleep. He gave over their cattle to the hail, their livestock to bolts of lightning. He unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility, a band of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh and the tent where he dwelt among mankind and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage son. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. The Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built a sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing news, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, as an inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. Yeah. So, you guys have heard the quote, I'm sure, it's from the Spanish-American philosopher, uh, George Santayana. He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Uh, and the, the Bible obviously said, said that long before Santayana did. And that's really the theme of the psalm, because twice uh, in verses 7 and 11, the word forget is repeated. And then the verb remember is repeated three times. Uh, throughout this psalm and, and, the, and the idea is that the first part of it the verses 1 to 8 really is an exhortation to the future generation to remember uh, the wonders of God the wondrous works of God and then the rest of it really is a recitation of the past generations forgetting the wonders of God 
Yeah, so he's so using them as an example, really a negative example. Uh, he, the psalmist is exhorting the future generations to remember the wonders of God. And so that's really the, uh, what you see in verses 1 to 8. God had charged them after uh, rescuing them and making a covenant with them to observe uh, his commandments uh, and to remember the, the covenant that they made uh, and then to teach it to their children. And that's what the psalmist is trying to do. Because the fathers, their fathers, to, from whom they heard the story, were actually themselves unfaithful to the covenant. And so they, uh, it says in verse 8 that they were, should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so the main point of the psalm really is that we should remember the wonders of God and be steadfast and faithful toward Him. Uh, and then we get to the second half, which is the mo- mo- most of the psalm, verses 9 to 72, which is uh, recounting of the past generations forgetting the wonders of God. And, and it begins in verses 9 to 11 by saying, The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, uh, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Uh, so... Uh, Ephraim was the leading tribe of Israel. They were the biggest tribe. Uh, they were, Ephraim was the, the younger son of Jacob or Joseph that received Jacob's uh, blessing, uh, uh, the greater blessing. Uh, and so he, the Ephraim became the leading tribe of Israel. So often the name Ephraim is used to stand for the entire uh, nation of Israel. So that's what's going on here, which is why the name Israel is used repeatedly, interchangeably throughout the psalm. Um, when it's referring to the tribe of Ephraim, it singles out that it's a tribe of Ephraim like it does later uh, in verse 67. And uh, Ephraim turning back from battle, it's probably a reference to uh, uh, 1 Samuel 4, where the, the Israelites are fighting against the Philistines, uh, and they, uh, Israel is defeated uh, because they have been idolatrous, uh, and, uh, and the Ark of God uh, is lost in the battle, and then and it says they fled every man to his home. So that's probably the reference, and it, I think that's most likely to be the background of this psalm because the psalmist mentions that specifically, that instance more in detail in later in verses 59 to 64. What's uh, remarkable is in verses 12 to 56, we see uh, repeated rebellion by the Israelites, just persistent sin and rebellion. Uh, and they forget the wonders that God performed. It's in verse 12. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. So he's going back a generation further than the ones that, that he's uh, currently addressing, uh, the ones that are in the promised land. And then uh, and, and he's saying that their fathers saw the wonders of God in the land of Egypt. And fields of Zoan is another way to say land of Egypt. Zoan is a city in Egypt. That's the, that's the area of Goshen. It's, it's a city inside the region of Goshen where the Israelites, uh, Joseph's, uh, Joseph and Jacob and his families lived and their descendants. Um, and then the, the way the, the, the unfaithfulness of Israelites and the faithfulness of God is described is exactly contrasted. So in Hebrew poetry, it, it, it's this, the poetry is this, this, uh, divided into colons. And in verses 12 to 16, there are exactly 10 colons that exclaim the wonders of God. And then in verses 17 to 20, there are exactly 10 colons of Israel's rebellion. And then and, and the kind of pattern repeats. Uh, and so it's, it's showing us that the faithless behavior of Israel is the exact opposite of what you would expect from God's faithfulness that, that he has shown them. Uh, in Egypt, and he, he recounts different things he's done. In Egypt, God brought various pests and plagues upon the Egyptians and killed their firstborn to rescue and deliver Israel. When they were in the wilderness, right, God provided rock, you know, water from the rock. 
he poured down manna, the bread from heaven, and he poured down quail from heaven, meat from heaven. Uh, he uh, parted the sea to take them out of, 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 through the Red Sea. Uh, and, uh, and in spite of all of this, we keep hearing the refrain throughout the psalm, verse 17, yet they sin still more against him, rebelling against the Most High. And in verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned. In verse 40, how often they rebelled against him. And then finally in verse 56, yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God. The word rebel and the word test are repeated in conjunction with each other throughout the psalm three and four times to describe the Israelite forefathers. So this really is kind of gets at the heart of sin, right? Instead of submitting to God, uh, we rebel against Him. Uh, and instead of trusting God, we test Him. And, and how many times have we done this in our lives, right? When, we, uh, when God's word is clear and the demands, the commands of God are clear, we disobey. Uh, we rebel instead of submitting. And when God calls us to trust Him in spite of uncertainty, when God calls us to trust Him, uh, and it, we take things into our own hands, and by doing that, we test Him instead, instead of trusting Him. And, and so really, this psalm calls us to repentance, that in spite of the repeated forgiveness and repeated deliverance and the constant love of God, that we have been turning against Him and being unfaithful to Him. And then uh, by verse 56, we return to the second generation. Because um, it's, uh, and, and uh, yet they, even though God had driven out the nations before them and given them the inheritance, the promised land, even they, as it says in 56, they have rebelled against the Lord. Uh, and we see the details of their rebellion in verses 57 to 58. It says, They turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers, uh, they twisted like a deceitful bow. Uh, the mention of the bow is, ties this verse back to verse 9, which describes the Ephraimites as those who were armed with the bow. And, and so it's, uh, it's, it's probably referring to the same incidents, incident. And, uh, and like a twisted bow, like a deceitful bow. So I mean, like when your bow is twisted and you shoot it, it misfires. Uh, and it, it basically it's treacherous because you could hit anything. You could even hit your own people. Or, and so that's how the Israelites... Uh, responded and behaved toward God. He acted like a treacherous, uh, deceitful bow, turned against him, who was his Lord. And, uh, and, and the reason why, and, uh, uh, and then they do, did that, it says, by following the idols. So they were pursuing idols, uh, and God uh, rejected them in response to that. And so I mentioned this earlier, but the incident that verse 8 is referring to is probably from 1 Samuel 4. Right, so they're worshiping Baal, worshiping the Asherah, and uh, and and at the time, in the tabernacle was where God's presence dwelt, and it was God's presence was represented by the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant resided in uh, in Shiloh. That's the, the place that's mentioned here. But then, uh, even though they were idolatrous, they thought that they would do lip service to God and make and and get maybe good luck charm as they go into this battle against the Philistines. They brought the Ark of God to accompany them. Uh, and of course, God would not be mocked, and so they lose the battle. Uh, and uh, Hophni and Phineas, who are the two priests, who priest sons of Eli, die in the battle. And then the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. And then they, uh, the news reaches Eli the priest, and he is an overweight man, and he's uh, elderly. And he is so shocked by the news, he tips over backward in his chair, breaks his neck, and dies. And then when his daughter-in-law, who is, who is uh, Phineas's wife, was pregnant, here's the news, she uh, gives premature birth, uh, and she dies after giving birth. And as she names, uh, as she dies, she names her son 
Ichabod or Ichabod, um, and which means it says the glory has departed from Israel. That's what that's what uh, but verses fifty nine to sixty four is talking about. It says he forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. Their priests, later it says, fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Uh, so that's kind of the low point, really, of, of, of Israel's history before the monarchy began. And, but even in that case, it turns out that God does not reject his people forever. So he says in verses 65 to 66, Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. And... Uh, of course, of course, it's not saying that you know God was literally asleep, but He woke up as if from slumber, to, as like a strong man who is energized, invigorated by wine. He came in power and routed his enemies and restored them. But then, when that happens, uh, God's grace—the focal point, the, the locus of God's uh, really grace and blessing—shifts. So Ephraim was the leading tribe in Israel, but that now shifts to Judah, the tribe of Judah. Uh, and, and the house of David is chosen by God to be the, the ones that will lead. Uh, and, uh, and so that's what verses 67 to 70 is talking about. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. And so it was under the establishment of the, the Davidic monarchy that Israel achieved victory uh, from the surrounding nations, and the Ark of God was finally restored to, to its new dealing place in Jerusalem. And that's kind of really what the psalmist is celebrating. And so the psalm really ends in a hopeful note, right? Because... Uh, and most likely because that's the period that the psalmist lived in. So he's saying, oh yeah, this, all this happened now, we should remember this so that this doesn't happen to us again, but that we could stay within God's blessing. But as people who have, know the rest of Scripture, right, we know that it doesn't play out the way the psalmist envisions or hopes. Right? And they sin again, they turn to idolatry again, and then they're exiled, right? and they lose God's favor. And that's, so it's, it seems that things are just hopeless. Maybe this vicious cycle will continue indefinitely. But then that's exactly why God has to send a second David, right? Uh, a better David, right? Because the first David could not accomplish once and for all what God intended to accomplish. And, and so the Jesus was the prophesied offspring of David. It's, uh, he's described as that, that way in 2 Samuel, Samuel 7, 12 to 16, as the one, the Davidic offspring who will reign forever in God's stead as a representative. And then during his life, he was given the messianic title, Son of David, right? Matthew 1, 1, other places. And then, so, so similar to David, who David was a champion of Israelites, he defeated Goliath on behalf of the Israelites, defeated the Philistines and cut off the Goliath's head. In a similar way, Jesus now, as the champion of his people, uh, dies on the cross for our sins on Golgotha, rises again, and then he crushes the head of Satan, right? David was only able to deliver his people temporarily, but Christ is able to deliver his people eternally and permanently, right? Uh, because he fights not only the, the physical, the temporal enemies, but the spiritual enemies, the sin uh, and, and the devil and, and the world and flesh and the devil. And, uh, and, and even though we continue to sin, right? And because of that, this cycle really should continue, because Christ bore all the punishment that we deserved, and the justice of God and the mercy of God was satisfied, it was made, was made one in Him, uh, we are no longer under con condemnation, under judgment. And so that's, that's really what this is talking about. So that in verse 2, when the psalmist says, I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings from a old, right? 
dark saying meaning obscure saying, uh, something that's perplexing, a riddle. And then, and that verse is cited in Matthew thirteen thirty five to just describe Jesus' teaching. That, that he, Jesus is described as, I open up my mouth in parable. And how is this a parable? It's, it's a parable because the story of Israel, their history, is supposed to function as a parable for us. Uh, so that it's supposed to be a parable of the gospel for us. That, that if we are faithless, God remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, right? That where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, right? Romans 5.20, right? That's, that's the truth. That's the, the parable of, that, of the gospel. The Israelites' history, their ups and downs, their, their, constant, their repeated unfaithfulness and God's constant faithfulness is the parable for us to learn uh, the mystery of Christ. That he is the one uh, who saves us uh, and is faithful with us in spite of our sins. And, and so that's when we remember that, uh, that's when we're able to be steadfast and faithful toward God. Um, so when we are uh, plagued by doubts uh, or um, uh, we remember how faithful God has been toward us. When we are tempted to sin, disobey him and rebel against him instead of obeying him. Uh, that's when we remember his goodness and, and kindness toward us. And that's what enables us to be 